Father, how grateful we are today to stand in this place, not in our merit, but in the marvelous work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Your death on the cross in our place set us free from sin, covered our guilt, covered our shame, and covered our absolute rebellion against God. What a marvelous moment is this, that we can stand in the presence of the Almighty, not in our works of righteousness, but in the righteousness of the Lord God because of Jesus. And now as we focus on the Lord's Supper, may our eyes be clearly focused, our ears attentive, our minds resolved to hear the word of the Lord so that when we leave this place in a few moments, we can all say together, today I met with the Lord. He spoke to me. His hand touched me. His Holy Spirit redeemed me and restored me. Today I leave this place with my hand in the hand of God to walk after the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I want to invite you, if you would, to open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 12. This morning, though we're at the Lord's Supper, we're also focusing, as I said this month, on the theme of Easter, and to go back and study Easter, we'd have to really go back before the world ever was because the Bible says of Jesus, he was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Well, that's very hard for us to go to. First of all, as far as we get is Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created, the beginning of our time frame. Prior to that, there was God and God alone and no others. So we can't go back to the mind of God, but we can go as far as the Exodus because it is there that God determined that man would one day, uh, or God manifested to Israel that one day he would send a Messiah. Uh, the, the Messiah was in the heart of God before he ever shaped Adam. And when Adam sinned, he provided redemption, he provided the skin of an animal, which means there had to be the shedding of blood. But here was Israel, 430 years in bondage, and now they're about to leave Egypt, and God wanted them to know the only way you're getting to leave is by the blood of the Lamb. And if you'll remember on the night of Passover, which was the beginning of this festival, the Passover meal, at the beginning of Passover, there were some very specific instructions that were truly fulfilled in the life and ministry of our Lord Jesus. And so I want you to look with me in Exodus chapter 12. Our life is filled with rushing and hurrying. Let's see what God was saying on that first Passover. Exodus chapter 12, verse 1. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month is the beginning of months. Now, what does that mean? This is the Jewish January. They live by lunar calendar. And he said, you'll know it's the first month of the year because when the first month comes, you observe this feast of Passover. You start the year remembering we would not be if God did not forgive our sins through the blood of a lamb and let us continue. So he said to Moses, this is going to be the first month in the Jewish calendar. It's called N-I-S-A-N, Nisan. This will be the first month, the beginning of months, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community in verse 3 of Exodus 12, tell the whole community of Israel. Now look at this. On the 10th day of this month... They must select an animal of the flock according to their father's households. One animal per household. If the household is too small for a whole animal, that person and his neighbor nearest his house are to select one lamb based on the combined number of people. Now here's the clear directive. You should apportion the animal according to what each person will eat. Well, that might vary in America, but this is Jewish. You must have an unblemished animal, a year old male, You can take it either from the sheep or the goats. You're to keep it. Now, remember, you select it on the 10th of Nisan. You're to keep it until the 14th day. That's five days. 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. Five is the number of grace. This animal is your grace from God to cover your sin. You're to keep it until the 14th day. Then the whole assembly of the community of Israel will slaughter the animals at twilight. That means, the word literally means between the evenings. It's between three and five in the evening. Jesus died on the cross and gave up his spirit at three o'clock on Friday afternoon, according to the law for the killing of the lamb. You're to keep it until twilight. The time between the evenings is the Hebrew word. Then take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the house in which they eat them. 
They're to eat the meat that night. They should eat it roasted over the fire along with unleavened bread and bitter, er, er, and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of that lamb raw or cooked in boiling water, only roasted over the fire. Why? Fire demonstrates this is a clean, pure animal. Fire cauterizes, cleanses. So here it is. It says, eat this lamb whole, don't boil it. Always cook it in the fire, its head as well as its leg and inner organs. In other words, don't cut it up. When Jesus was died on the cross, he was whole. Pierced, yes. Wounded, yes. But whole. The Bible says this animal is to be whole. Head and legs still attached and the organs still in the body. Verse 10. Do not let any of the lamb remain until morning. You must burn up any part of that that does not remain until morning. And here's how you must eat it. And here's our text. You must eat it dressed for travel. Your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand. Eat it in a hurry. It is the Lord's Passover. Every weekend as I study for Sunday, I feel already the pressure of the rush of time. Many of you say, goodness, that was long. You don't know how much I left out. Anytime we come to worship, we don't really have time to dedicate as we would like. There's always more that we wish we could do, but the clock in our generation certainly dictates because your schedules are full. Keep it tight and moving. We, we want everything today to be short. Even our conversations have been shortened from emails to texts to tweets because we don't have time to read that much. We drive into a restaurant that's fast food, and if we have to wait longer than a couple of minutes, we're pulling down the line saying, I don't have time. Well, when we see food that we want to prepare, we have a microwave because we don't have time to stand in the kitchen very long and cook. Everything we do, we want quickly. When we have a computer, we want faster speed and more information at the click of a mouse. We're rushed. We're always in a hurry. Have you ever considered the story of Easter and how much it dates back to Passover and the hurry, both of Passover and Easter? We seem to think we're the only generation that's ever been in a dead run. But Easter and Passover, God... Likewise, had the people moving at a dead run to execute the will of God. If you remember in Exodus 12, that, that passage we just read, God's commandment was, eat with your sandals on, staff in your hand. Pardon me? This is Middle East. You don't wear shoes in the house. The sandals had all the dirt and grime and grit from the streets. You don't wear your sandals. God said you do tonight. Don't, don't you be barefooted because I'm about to move. And when I move, you've got to be ready to go. He said, stand, stand quickly and be ready to go. Hurry, hurry and prepare that meal. Hurry and get that lamb killed but, so that it, it can die sometime between the three, third and fifth hour and be roasted whole, which means you've got to spread the legs front and back out, leave the head on the animal, put it on a spit. You know what a spit is? A, a, a stick with sticks through it so it opens the legs. You'd call it a rotisserie. Put that over an open fire and roast that lamb like this. Because how is the lamb of God going to die like this? He said, you got to roast it quickly and move on. He said, fix the unleavened bread. You don't have time for bread to rise. You don't have time to wait for the lump of dough to rise. Eat it quickly. Make it with no leaven. Why? Because unleavened bread looks like a cracker. When, if you see the Lord's Supper and they've got these big loaves of bread, that's a Western, a Western diminishing of the picture. The bread of the Lord's Supper, is, you're going to get a wafer that's tiny, but it's totally thin because that's what they would have gotten. When Jesus broke the bread, it wasn't tearing a loaf. It was breaking a piece of matzah, a cracker. No leaven. No time for it to rise. He said, hurry and cook that bread. And then he said even to Judas, the night Judas betrayed him, what you must do. Do quickly. Here's the rush. There was a rush through the trial of Jesus between six, uh, 12 and 6 in the morning, midnight and 6. He rushed to the house of Annas, rushed to Caiaphas, rushed to Pilate, rushed to Herod, rushed to Pilate, because we got to get him on the cross. Once he's on the cross, there was a rush to hurry and make sure he could die. The, the Jewish leaders didn't want to be, they didn't mind murder, they just didn't want to have a dead Jew on a cross through Passover or dying Jew on the cross through Passover hurry and get him down make sure he's dead it was a hurry in the burial because Sabbath was coming and so Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus quick, quickly took down the body and wrapped it hurriedly 
best they could, cleansing all the blood that would have been all over him, cleansing him quickly and wrapping him quickly and putting him into him quickly, knowing women would say, we're coming back the first day of the week and doing the job properly. There was a rush. There was a rush in Easter because when the women went to the tomb, it was a great while before day. They couldn't wait for morning. There was a rush. We got to go and see him. We got to go and address his wounds. We got to go and fix his body. Hurry and get up. And then when they saw the tomb empty, there was a rush. They ran back to tell the disciples. And Peter and John ran to check out the tomb. Do you get the feeling? There's this hurriedness, a hurriedness to do what God had in mind. We examine the Passover meal in Exodus and we feel the rush. But along with the rush, there's a word that hit me this time. What you're going to do, do eat it in haste. But the very first word is stand. Stand. We so often hear people say on a Facebook post or on a tweet, it's time for the church of God to awake and stand up. How are we doing at that? Stand at our house when we don't have time to eat. We just stand at our little kitchen counter and grab a sandwich. We don't have time to sit down and dine. I've had times I had to stand in a line because I didn't have time to sit and get the information at leisure. I've got to stand up here and try to get this information quickly. And so you get the feeling even the night of the Passover, there was not this quiet, leisurely dinner and just celebrating the fact we're all together and isn't it good? God said, you better stand on your feet. You stand to commemorate, his command to Israel, stand to commemorate the end and the beginning. Israel denied as you stand in your own house with your sandals on your feet, ready to go. You've come to the end of Egypt. You've come to the beginning of freedom. You've come to the end of slavery and the beginning of the exodus. You've come to the end of bondage and the beginning of blessing. You need to stand and be ready for all that God's going to do. Old things are about to pass away, Israel. Stand up. All all things are about to come new. Stand up. This is a new day. This is a day you've waited and your ancestors have waited. No more bondage. No more bricks. No more straw. No more lash. You're free. When the moment when you take this table, take the elements of this table, it's a time to realize there was time in my life that had to die. For me to be able to stand in the presence of the Almighty one day, redeemed and justified. Stand. God's about to do a mighty work, Israel. Stand up. Stand up for Jesus. God's about to do something marvelous. Be watchful. When you think something's about to happen and you believe that a storm, a tornado is coming, or you believe there's a, a burglar, or you hear something, but sirens down the street, you don't kind of rock back in your lazy boy and say, well, I'll wait till it passes. You get to your feet. And there's a sense of urgency. You wonder what's about to happen. And on this night of all nights, there was a feeling, God Almighty, God Almighty is entering the land and there's going to be a death in every single household. Prepare your household, Dad. Good warning. Prepare your household, Dad. God's about to move in judgment. Make sure your children are prepared for this supper of all suppers because tomorrow you're going to be leaving and tonight the judgment of God is going to fall. Stand up, Dad. Stand up, Mother. Make certain that everything's been prepared according to the will of God and not your own will. Don't say, well, I didn't have time to. No, did you do what God said? Stand up. Stand in readiness and in attention. There ought to be a sense of expectancy. Uh, do, you have, do you have those mornings you come to church? Well, let me ask it a different way. Do you come to church feeling the exact same way every Sunday? I don't mean physically. I don't mean, well, we're always late or we're always earlier. You know, it's always a rush. I don't mean that. Do you come to church on the cusp, the edge, the anticipation? I've been praying this week, some of you may, I hope say, I've been praying this week for God to move in a supernatural, unexplainable, except by God, Holy Spirit-driven, Christ-honoring, holy, holy movement of God. I believe today's the day. Did any of you come this morning sitting on the edge of your seat just kind of a little bit tense and anxious? Are you a watchman? You know, in the night hours when a watchman, certainly then where there was very little light and very much going on, it, it had to be terribly lonely. 
But that watchman dare not put down his spear and go to sleep on the wall. His job was to watch as if tonight the attack is coming. Tonight we're going to be invaded. And every shift of a night watchman was you better be expecting something to happen. When's the last time you came to church on the edge of your seat and your heart beating just a little bit quicker and, and your body just feeling a little bit of uh, healthy stress and a little bit of anxiousness? You know, I believe today it's going to break open. If everybody comes to church, some of you hopefully can say, if everybody came to church as prayed up as I am, I believe God's going to move today in such a powerful way. We won't be able to have lunch today on time. There's an expectancy. The Bible said that night at Passover, they'd seen all the plagues of Egypt. And they knew this isn't normal. We're watching all the world come and glued around us and our nation go the way of demonic activity. And if you're white-headed or no hair left, you know this is not normal. Are you watching? He said, stand up, eat quickly. A sense of expectancy. God's going to move in judgment. And He's going to usher in the judgment of, of Egypt and the judgment of Israel. If you don't put blood on the doorpost of your house, you're going to die like a pagan Egyptian. Some of you say, well, I think I'm okay. I go to church. You're a pagan. If you've never trusted Jesus, you're not sort of hurting, you're not sort of okay, you're dead in your sins. You can be sitting in the camp of God and depart this life and forever be separated. The only way Israel could come out different than Egypt is there the blood of a lamb covering you. I'd ask you the same question. Is the blood of the lamb covering your life? The Bible says on that night of all nights, they knew God was about to judge and there was a sense of urgency. God's been going to do a mighty work as we eat this bread and drink this cup. We better do it quickly. We're about to see God do something supernatural. They were to stand not only in expectancy and stand in the act of, of preparation, but there's a, a stand in obedience to God, but they stand in obedience or, or preparation as a servant. When the household ate, the servants would serve the table, but in Egypt, everybody was a slave. So he said, servants, you're accustomed to standing during the meal. You better stand during this one for your own safety. You, you know why servants stood? Well, they were served, but it was also to say, I've done my very best to prepare I don't mind standing here, sir, because I, I prepared the lamb and I, I prepared the feast. Or if it's an Egyptian pagan meal, sir, I've done exactly what you said. I got the meat ready and I got the bread ready and I got the vegetables ready and the fruit ready and the dessert ready and the wine ready and the servant standing there. What can I do now to bring it to you? It's all prepared. Are you prepared to do this? I mean, honestly. Are, are you prepared to eat this bread and drink this cup? Honestly? This isn't my supper. This isn't like a Baptist potluck, y'all come. This is, we're about to stand on the holy ground of the apex and the crux of the very work of God. And a servant could stand at the table in obedience without fear. I've done everything you said, master, to prepare. And so the servant would stand ready to serve because whatever the master asked for, yes, sir, it's right here. The master called it, yes, sir, it's right here. I, I need, yes, sir, it's right here. I, I thought ahead, I was ready for you. Are you ready? If Jesus said today, I want you. Are you ready to stand up and say, yes, sir. I've prepared my life. I've prepared my heart. I'm in a hurry today to hear your voice. The Bible says servants stood ready to serve. Get that lamb ready. Do you remember verses 5 and 6 of Exodus 12, what it said the lambs to be? There's the picture of Jesus you understand this table dates back 3,400 years. Jesus dates back 2,000 years. So this had been in existence 1,400 years the night Jesus broke the bread. And the question was, did you find a lamb that's without spot or blemish? What did Pilate say of Jesus? I find no fault in him. Did you find that young male Jesus was 33. Today, if a young adult dies, the church will be packed. Man lives to 80. A few friends will come. He dies at 30, 25, 16, 12. The church is packed. The Bible says, did you realize this 33-year-old lamb of God is carrying on him the sins of the whole world? Did you select the right lamb? 
Well, I, I, I don't think it really matters. We're all trying to get to the same place. Well, that's your philosophy. God said there's one lamb and there's one way and there's one door and there's one hope and there's one method of redemption. Did you pick the right lamb? The question is, the lamb has to be slain. It's not all right to just say, well, we got this little lamb on the 10th day and we petted it and listened to it bleat and kind of set up with it. And when the 14th day came, we just couldn't bring ourselves to kill that little lamb. Then you're going to die in sin. I told you a minute ago, every household in Egypt, every household in the land of Egypt had a death on Passover. In Israel, every 10 people had the death of a lamb precious little lamb. In the households of the Egyptian, the firstborn of every household, there was a death. Why? The wages of sin is always death. And so they stood. It's an awesome moment. Here we are in the presence of God we have to surrender our heart and life to Jesus. The Bible says the lamb has to be slain and roasted. And then the Bible says, eat it whole. Some of you are following Jesus afar off and have for a lifetime. Well, I believe there was a Jesus, but I'm going to wait and see if he really is the Messiah. It's too late. The Bible says in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, the trumpet will sound and Christ will come. How long does it take to repent? Longer than that right there. That's one heartbeat. You couldn't even get the word out of your mouth before the penance that you judged and condemned. The Bible says you better stand up. You're going to do this in haste. Have you hurried to get to the table? Not so you could eat, but so you could do business with God. You see, the Bible says you've got to take Jesus in. You can't just say, I believe he existed. You have to, there comes a point when you take him in the same way you took a roasted lamb and you ate it. There has to come a time when you apply Jesus Christ in your life. You stand on this night. You stand because the judge of the world is coming. You know what? So often I get emails from some of you or texts from some of you saying, Master, uh, Pastor, I saw this today. It just reminds me, I think the Lord's coming soon. We don't say that if we know Christ. We don't say it in fear for us. But I got to tell you, it terrifies me to know that he's coming soon for those that I know that don't know him. I got some precious people around me in life, some on my street, some in acquaintances, some people that serve me at restaurants, and I know they don't know Christ. And though in my heart I say, boy, today would be a great day for Jesus to come. I, this morning when I got up, for some reason they were heavy on my heart. Ran into three of them just in the last five days. Had time to really talk and not about spiritual things because they, they, they didn't linger that long, but to talk to them. And it dawned on me this morning as I was reflecting on my week in a restaurant, in a neighborhood. I, I pictured their faces. I thought, Lord, this would be such a great day to come. And then I had to check in my spirit because I thought if they do, if you do, she won't come and they won't be there and they won't be there and boy it makes your heart heavy do you know God's about to move through in judgment and can I tell you when he judges he judges from the ground up and it's eternal he, he doesn't just swatch you on the hand when Isaiah sinned he said I gotta burn your whole mouth with a live coal when Sodom and Gomorrah sinned, he sent fire from heaven and licked them off the face of the earth. When Genesis 6, earth was so bad, it says God repented, he made man. He sent a flood that stood 20 feet above the highest mountain until all but eight people were taken away. You better stand. You know, even in a court of law, in a court of law, when you go into court of law, the bailiff will say, all rise, meaning what? The judge is coming in. Out of respect, you stand to your feet. I got to tell you, the judge is coming. Might be today. Might be before we finish the bread and the cup. And when he comes, it's not a visit. He'll come to judge that was un which is unrighteous and be it will be destroyed. 
and he'll redeem that which has professed faith in him to be cleansed and made righteous. The Bible says in the Passover, you better stand. It was Jonathan Edwards who preached the powerful sermon from Hebrews 10, 13 that said it's a frightening thing, an awful thing to stand in the presence of the living God. I looked up that verse and looked at several different translations and all of them come out pretty grim. New International says it's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of God. New Living Bible says it's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The ESV, English Standard Version, says it's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of God. And the New American says it's a terrifying thing to stand in the hands of God. Do you have just a little bit of fear, healthy fear, reverential fear, that you're about to eat the symbol of the body of Jesus Christ taken on a cross for you and blood that was shed on the cross for your sins and mine? Do you have just a little bit of an angst? The Bible says it's a terrifying thing to stand in the presence of God. You say, well, I'm a child of God. So was John, the beloved disciple in Revelation, and he fell like a dead man. Isaiah says all he could see was his own sinfulness. Jeremiah cried, I'm just a boy. I can't, I can't handle this assignment. L- listen, anybody that stands in the presence of the living God is fearful. Thomas, when he saw him in the upper room, dropped and his nose hit the floor of the room when he said, my Lord and my God. It's a fearful thing to stand in His presence. Today, we stand here, pressed for time. Some of you already are feeling the urgency. You say, oh my, I've got to get out of here. I've got tons to do. I'm going to be out of town this week. And you're already feeling stressed. Some of you debated, should I even go today? I've got so much to do. And I could sure use that hour, that two hours, instead of church and Sunday school. I'm torn. And so every minute I'm talking, you're watching the clock. I, I, I hope this is short. I got a lot to do. We're still in a hurry, aren't we? While we're in a hurry today, we gather for worship. We feel the rush to get through the sermon so we can hurry and get to these elements to get out of here on time. And then when I start through the elements, you're saying, Pastor, now don't talk too much about the bread. Sure, don't talk much about the cup. But we got to go. So often we're rushed because we say, please hurry. This is my last afternoon before I leave this evening on a flight or tomorrow morning on a flight. I've just got so much to do. Welcome to Passover. Welcome to Easter. It was always a rush. I find it interesting. We're always in a hurry until it comes to things of God. I don't mean to be ugly. I'm just capable. But isn't it amazing we're always in a rush to get here so we can get out. We're always in a rush to get to the Bible study so we can get through. We're always in a hurry to stop the fellowship so we can hurry get to lesson and hurry get out of the room. Have you heard anybody lately saying, I, I, excuse me, I, can't, I don't have time to visit. I got to hurry and get to the altar and confess my sin. I, I feel awful. I've I, disappointed God. I'm in a hurry. I got to meet God. You ever heard anybody say that going into church? I'm in a real hurry. I'm in a real hurry today. I, 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 it's all I can do to talk to you. I, I, I want to get out and shed hot tears because my sin has become so evident overnight. I, I can't stand to be away from here and I can't stand to be here. I got to do business with God. I'm in a hurry to shed my tears, to show my brokenness. When, when's the last time the steps of this church were wet with tears? You in a hurry to get right? I'm in a hurry because I'm grieving over my rebellion in failing to do the very things I know God called me to do and wants me to do. And I don't mean to be disobedient, but like Paul, the very things I want to do, I don't do it. I can't stand me anymore. Are you in a hurry to be what you pledged you'd be when you took the hand of Jesus and said, I will follow Jesus. No turning back. Are you in a hurry to mourn over the hardness of heart? Are you in a hurry to seek to gain God's forgiveness for Willful transgressions crossing over the law of God. Are we in a hurry to be persistently desperate to be in a right relationship with God and to make right with our fellow man so that we don't dread seeing them in a hall or in a business or in a fellowship because we're now together, restored in the relationship? Are you in a hurry to be urgent to leave so you can start anew and live for Jesus with the newfound forgiveness you found today? 
Are you in a hurry to demonstrate your faith in Christ with boldness and consistency and faithfulness? Are you in a hurry to do as the disciples did at Pentecost, to burst out of the upper room and tell everybody you know about Jesus? As we eat this bread, Jesus taught that this is symbolic of His body offered for us. It's the body of the Lamb where the worshiper put his hands on the head of the Lamb to transfer symbolically his sins to the head or body of the substitute Lamb that would die in his place. Isaiah 53 says, We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way, and the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. As we drink this cup, Jesus taught it symbolic of the blood shed for us to pay for our sin to cover our transgressions, to demonstrate that the penalty of death has been met as our substitute poured out His blood for our redemption. It was John who would write in 1 John 1, if we walk in the light, as He's in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. I want to close by looking at the last verses of Exodus 12. If you have your Bible still open, look with me. Exodus 12, beginning in verse 37. Exodus 12:37. the Israelites traveled, meaning the next day following the Passover, they traveled from Ramses, so we know what city they were in, from Ramses on foot to Succoth, about 600,000 soldiers on foot. You ever wondered where we got the number 2 million Jews? Back then, unlike America today, we didn't, they didn't draft women. We, we do, but they didn't. We, we want to make women in combat to pr- do this new experiment we have socially in our government. Used to, men would go defend their wives and the women. Today, we want to put women up front where they can be shot at just like a man if war comes. But that's not the way the world's been. In the days of the Jews, verse 37, there are 600,000 soldiers. That's 600,000 young men able to fight. They didn't give a sword to an old man. He had hurt himself trying to swing it. They didn't give it to a child because a child not mature enough to fight with swords and spears. So they took 600,000 men and then look what it says, 600,000 soldiers besides their families. So if one soldier is married to to a wife and one child, suddenly that 600,000 is 1.8 million. If that soldier has two children, that's 2.4 million. If that soldier has a wife and two children and a grandmother, now you're on up there at two, three point something million. So, so here's the picture. This number, when it says 600,000 men and their families, how many were in the family? We don't know. Now, maybe some of them were just a single soldier, but some of them had three children and two grandparents. So, so it would average out if you just said three, a soldier and two others, that's 1.8 million. So that's how you know how many Jews got this command, how many celebrated the Lord's Supper, uh, excuse me, the Passover. Now look at this, verse 38. They were ethnically diverse, meaning they had intermarried with other slaves. So they weren't all just pure Jews. There were various ones among them. They were a diverse crowd ethnically, and they went up with them. Uh, an ethnically diverse crowd went up with them along with a huge number of livestock, flocks, and herds. Verse 40. And the time... The Israelites lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of the 430 years, on that same day, all the divisions of the Lord went out from the Lord land of Egypt. It was a night of vigil in honor of the Lord because he would bring them out of the land of Egypt. This same night is in honor of the Lord. A night vigil, meaning Passover is a dinner to be eaten at night. A night vigil for all the Israelites through all the generations. Do you know in Israel in just a few days, they will have again the feast of the Passover and point to this verse. Jesus ended the Passover for Christians. Passover is about a lamb four-legged that died in Egypt and the belief that one day God will send a Messiah. That's Passover. Passover ended, it was the last supper when those disciples were in the upper room. But when Jesus broke that matzah, and said, this is my body. We're not looking for the Messiah. He's come. When Jesus took the cup and said, this is the New Testament in my blood, we're not looking for blood to put on the doorpost and of the house. The blood of the Lamb of God has been shed. 
Passover's over. Lord's Supper is now. And here's the good news. One day, and I do think soon, I won't be leading you in this supper on earth. I'll be seated with you and the myriad number of saints of the ages at the banquet feast of the Lamb. And the Lord will take the cup and do just what He said. I'm going to drink this new with you in my Father's kingdom. Welcome to the table of Jesus. Maybe we ought to be in haste, watching with expectancy the eastern sky, listening for the sound of the trumpet. Wouldn't it be great if today really was the Last Supper? And very soon we're drinking this new in our Father's kingdom. Stand with me, would you, and let's pray together. Our Father, we're doing as the Israelites did on the night of the supper. We're standing in honor of the Lord God Almighty. Exodus says this is to be a memorial, a vigil to the Lord. Well, today we're vigilant because we believe very soon the sky is going to open, maybe today. And the sound of the trumpet and the shout of the archangel is going to be heard all around the world simultaneously, and the Lord is going to come. We look back only long enough to remember why you implemented the Lord's Supper at the Passover, and we look ahead today to the time when we'll be at the banquet feast of the Lamb, but today we have the privilege of being at the table, examining ourselves to make sure, are we right with Jesus? Are we in position to take this bread and drink this cup? And if so, to do it as a cup of blessing. Bless us now as we enter this time in Jesus' name. Deacons, would you make your way to the front? Church, you may be seated. We're going to observe the Lord's Supper.
join me in prayer? Lord Jesus, what a moment this is to commemorate and remember 2,000 years ago on an evening in a tight room above all the rest of the city in an upper room. You were there with 12 of your closest friends, one of whom would wind up being a devil among you, one who would deceive and one who would deny, one who would betray. We're grateful that in this room today, we come as children of God and we hold in our hand that wafer that symbolizes the body of the Lord Jesus. In Old Testament times, the father would put his hands on the head of the body of a lamb. We're not worthy to put our hands on your head. Roman soldiers put their hands on your head by implanting a crown of thorns. They hit you on the head with a reed scepter. Women tenderly prepared your head for burial. Uh, and Joseph of Arimathea prepared your head for burial. And the women came to discover the headband was separate from the clothing. We come today to remember the body of Jesus and what you did for us. And we pray this morning with thanksgiving that you were willing to bear all our sin because you had none. And you didn't do it reluctantly and you were not commandeered into just dying for us. You came for that purpose. Thank you. In Jesus' name. The Bible says after dinner, Jesus took the bread and when he'd broken it, he gave it to the disciples and he said, this is my body which is offered for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you for this cup that symbolizes what it took to redeem our sin, to cover our sin in the eyes of God, to pay for our sin through the sacrificial lamb, innocent for those who are guilty. Thank you that you were willing. And thank you today we are redeemed not for a day or two or a week or two or for a lifetime. We're redeemed forevermore because the blood of Jesus will never, ever lose its power. Thank you. In Jesus' name. After dinner, Jesus took the cup and he first took a drink from it himself. And then he passed it to the disciples. And he said, this cup is the new covenant, the new testament. If you're new as a Christian, it means we're no longer under the law of the Old Testament We're today in a New Testament covenant of grace because of this blood. He said, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, if you'd be so kind as just pass your cups to either end of the aisle. We've got ushers with baskets. They'll be coming in just a moment to pick those up. I want to remind you just a couple of things. And by the way, Todd or whoever, if we have something to say, would you come in?